Thank you, Wilson. And I invite you to go with me to John's Gospel, the 20th chapter. And I bet you can guess what the story is we're reading today. It is the good news of the resurrection. It's not hard to figure out what the preacher's text is going to be on Easter because there's no more appropriate story to tell than the one about where Jesus came back from the dead. And so this morning we'll be journeying together through John's telling of this account. Here we go. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the one disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then, they, then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now, Mary, she stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, why are you crying, woman? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, please tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. As we prepare to dive into this text this morning, I do have to warn you a little bit. We had a earlier service, the 915 service, where Wilson told me I had to be done at a certain time because we had another service. He did not tell me that about this service. So if the Holy Spirit starts moving, I don't have to worry about a whole lot of people coming in. I just got to worry about your lunch reservations, all right? So I, um, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. I give thanks that we get to celebrate Easter together, and we do so with camaraderie and joy, but also with the seriousness to remember what happened on that first Easter Sunday, the gravity of what took place and how it impacts and affects our lives today. And so this morning, as we reflect on this story, I want us to imagine that we were there. I want us to put ourselves in the shoes of the characters. And so for that reason, I'd like to preach from the subject, were you there? Will you pray with me? 
Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I'm not sure that there is a scripture verse or a story in the Bible that I identify with more, that I identify with more than John's telling of the resurrection. John is not the only one to tell of the resurrection, just as the other three gospels tell us about the events of Jesus's return from death, so too does John. John, like the others, reveals that people went to the tomb and that the body was missing and somebody was trying to explain where the body was. Now, not all the gospels agree on all the details and we'll return to that fact in just a moment. But John's gospel is unique among the four accounts in that John just can't help himself. And that's kind of the part that resonates with me because there's sometimes I just can't help myself. You end up you know, telling stories with a little bit of grandiosity or maybe you can't help but put yourself in the story maybe a little more than the story needed it, right? Because none of the other gospels tell us that there was a foot race that John won because we think John is the disciple whom Jesus loved, that he is actually referring to himself. And so he has to include this part in the story that he won the race between he and Peter. And not only does he say it once, he says it twice. He says, oh yeah, and the disciple who won the race, he was also made it to the tomb. And so I think that John does what a lot of us do. He sees the story through his own perspective. He tells the story as he experienced it and as he remembers it. When we tell stories, we do so not from some objective lens of removal, but we tell stories based on the way we perceive them, the way we experience them. And John is proud of the fact that he won that foot race. And so maybe Peter was going around telling everybody that he won the race. And John's like, no, 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 I actually got there first. And now mine's written down and it's put in stone. So that's the one that counts, right? John is making sure that we know the parts of the story that he wants to tell us. Now, who made it to the tomb first does not actually impact the reality of the resurrection. It doesn't change the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead, that Jesus defeated death, that eternal life is now possible because of this event. So why is it significant for John to include it and why do we even bother pausing to point it out? Because in a way, I think what John is doing is what it will be helpful for us to do this morning. By telling it from his own perspective, he's putting himself at the story of the resurrection in a unique way. And I would like for you to try to put yourself in the story of the resurrection in a unique way. Like we said earlier, not all the gospels agree about exactly how and when these things took place. Matthew tells, Mark says that the person who greeted the women at the tomb was a young man. Matthew says it was an angel. Luke says it was two angels. And John tells us it was two angels that all of a sudden were Jesus disguised as a gardener. John is the only person who mentions the gardener. And whereas all of our gospels, they tell us the good news of Jesus's resurrection from the dead, John gives us three main characters that we can read about and that we can imagine ourselves as. 
He gives us three characters that we can identify with. And so this morning, my question to you is, who were you if you were there? If you were in this story, if you put yourself into this narrative, if you were there the day that Jesus raised from the dead, would you be like John, Peter, or Mary? Because those are the three main characters in this story. If we go back to our text, it starts out with Mary Magdalene going out on Sunday morning to the tomb and discovering that the stone had been rolled away. And whereas now we say that with good tidings and it's the great news that the stone was rolled away, in that moment, it was a terrifying reality for Mary. Mary Magdalene didn't want the stone rolled away because she didn't know what it signified. She thought somebody had taken Jesus' body Maybe his enemies had come and taken him away. And so she ran back to the disciples, probably to the place where they were all staying after the crucifixion. And she gets there and she tells them what has happened. And Peter and John jump up and they start running. And so we have our three main characters. And the first I'd like for us to consider this morning is which of us in here are most like John? Which of us are like the gospel writer John, because John believes he is the disciple whom Jesus loves and names himself that, and many of us have various reasons for why we believe that. And because of that, he will not let himself be outdone by Peter. I think that's part of why he's telling everyone, I won that race, because like, I love Jesus the most. I made it to the tomb the first, because I love Jesus more than Peter loves Jesus. But I also think he put himself getting there first, or maybe he makes sure to tell us this fact, it's because he's looking for things to make himself look a little better. Because he doesn't look like the most eager of the disciples. When he gets to the tomb, he stops. He's a little afraid. He's apprehensive. When John makes it to the tomb and he wins this foot race, he stops outside the tomb and he just kind of peers in. He's not really ready to commit to whatever's happening. He's unsure, he's apprehensive. And so he stays outside the tomb and he just looks in. Eventually he got the courage to go in with Peter and they look around the tomb and they see that the cloths were lying there and the, they were separated from the strips of linen that wrapped around Jesus's body. And the text says that they saw this and they believed. Now it doesn't tell us exactly what they believed because it also says in the very next verse that they did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead, but they obviously believe something significant has happened. It says they saw this and believe. So what do you think? Do you think you might be a little bit like John? Do you think your faith journey kind of reflects his attitude in this story? Or is it too soon to tell? You need to hear about the other two disciples first, right? Maybe like Peter, you know? Because Peter is the one who, whenever he gets to the tomb, he goes straight in. I like to think that Peter might have been the one that upon hearing Mary's news was the first to jump up and head out the door, right? He was the one who heard this and was so excited or so worried or so whatever, just got up and bolted off. And maybe that gives John even more incentive to say that he got there first because everybody saw Peter leave first, but then John took up after him. This is just my you know, imagination. Because I do think Peter has a very strong reason to want to get to that tomb as fast as he can. Because think about it, when Peter gets there, he doesn't stop, he doesn't wait, he doesn't break stride, he goes straight in. Because out of everybody that was left behind after Jesus' death, 
Peter might be the one who's most weighed down by grief and guilt. Think about what happened three nights before this story. On the night in which Jesus gave himself up for us, on the night in which he was crucified, Jesus told Peter that he would deny him three times. Peter said, no, I'm not gonna do that. I would never deny you, Jesus. And it took just a couple minutes for him to do that very thing, for him to deny Christ, the man he had pledged his life to, the man who had shown him the true glory of God, the person who he committed everything to follow, he just gave it all up out of fear, denying himself three, denying Jesus three times. And after he did that, Jesus was gone. He was crucified. He was buried. And Peter was forced to face the fact that he would have to live the rest of his life with that guilt. There'd be no chance for him to ask Jesus for forgiveness. There'd be no chance for redemption. There'd be no chance to be reconciled to Christ. There'd be no chance for him to say that he's sorry. So imagine the heaviness Peter felt because of his decisions. When Mary comes busting in that room to say what has happened, I imagine Peter had two thoughts. You know how sometimes you can think so fast it feels like you have two thoughts at once? Perhaps the first thought is, oh wait, I kind of remember him saying something about this. He didn't he tell us like that his temple was, his body was the temple and it'd be raised again from three days. Wasn't he predicting something about coming back? Or, and maybe he actually remembered that and that is why he took off in a dead sprint for the tomb. Or maybe it was the fact that this was his opportunity his chance to do one thing right. One thing to apologize or to make up for his denial. This is his chance to do right because if somebody had taken his body, this was his chance to get it back. This was his chance to restore the things the way, the way they're supposed to do. And like, though he might not ever get full redemption and reconciliation, he can at least do this one thing. So whatever the reason was for why he got up, he got up and he sprinted out that door and he went down to the tomb as fast as he could because he was desperate. This man was desperate for a chance to be made right. Really, I think he was desperate for hope. He had hope that he could do one thing and it drove him to run as fast as he could in that direction. Or maybe you're not like Peter, maybe you're not like John. Maybe you're like the character who was first on and last off the scene. Maybe you're like Mary Magdalene. Mary came to the tomb and told the disciples, after she went to the tomb, she told the disciples what she'd discovered and then she went back with them. It doesn't say when she got there, if she was fast or not fast. It just says that she was there. And after the disciples saw what they had seen and they discovered what they did and they believed what they believed, they left. But Mary stayed behind and wept. She was outside the tomb crying because she thought somebody had taken Jesus's body. And then she decided to look in the tomb and there in the tomb, she saw two angels and they asked her, why are you crying? And can you imagine her grief? Like, what do you mean, why am I crying? This is awful. And she walks out of the tomb and a stranger says to her, why are you crying? And she thinks he's the gardener. And so just this desperate plea 
She says, please give him back to me. Did you take him? Where is he? Where's his body? If you'll just tell me where it is, I'll go get it. You don't have to go get it. Just please let me be reconnected. Let me do this thing. Let me make it right. And then Jesus says her name, calls her by her name as he does each of us. He says to her, he says, Mary. And instantly it's like a veil was removed and she knew that Jesus was there. And it turn, she turns around and I just imagine that she probably jumped in his arms, like threw her arms around his neck, which is probably why he said, hey, you can't hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to my father, but go tell everyone what you have seen. Go tell everybody that I have risen. And that's what he, she did. She went back to where the disciples were and she said, I have seen the Lord. She had this experience with Jesus and she could not help but tell everybody about it. Which brings me back to the question. Which of these disciples are you? If you were there, if you were in this story and if you had to take the place of one of these people, which would you have been? Would you have been like John or Peter or Mary? Are you like Peter in that you have a deep sense of guilt in your heart? What are you carrying around right now that is weighing you down? What do you feel guilty about having done? What is it you have guilt in your heart for having said or not said? What is causing you to be weary out of fear? Causing you to be anxious because of your uncertainty about your chance to be forgiven? Because Peter was scared of that same thing, that he had to live the rest of his life with that guilt. But then just a few days later, he encountered Christ on a beach and Jesus didn't condemn him. He did not tell him, you're the worst. He didn't tell him, I do not love you. He offered him forgiveness and grace. And he told him to feed my sheep. And he said, upon you, upon this rock, I will build my church. Peter is the quintessential example of the fact that we cannot be separated from the love of God, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Even though Peter denied Jesus three times, it did not separate him from the love of God. So what is it that you are afraid is separating you from the love of God? What is it that you have on your heart that you feel guilt about? What is it that you are bringing to this place that you just need to let go of because it's too heavy? What are you holding on to that makes you feel like you cannot be redeemed? If that's you this morning, if you are like Peter, I hope that you hear the good news. That God loves you. That you are forgiven. And that grace is yours. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And so if you're like Peter, I pray you hear that good news that today is the day of new life. And if you're not like Peter, maybe you're like John. Maybe you do recognize that you've been forgiven. Maybe you've been following this Jesus for a while now, but maybe like John, you're not yet ready to fully commit, right? You're a little apprehensive. Maybe you're not really ready to stop being the featured star of the story. So you have to keep interjecting your own parts that you played. And you're not ready to, to submit everything to God. John, he, he wanted to make sure we knew which part he played in the story. And when he got to that tomb, he was a little hesitant. Is that you? Are, are, are you like just kind of on the fringes of Christianity? 
Do you do enough as a Christ follower to make sure that everybody knows that you're a Christ follower, but not enough to actually be a Christ follower? Like, what, what does it mean for you to run straight into that tomb like Peter did. Peter was so desperate to get in there. He ran in there as fast as he could. But John's like, I don't really know. I'm not really ready to, like, I don't want to go to church every week. I don't, I don't want to serve on a Saturday. I'm not really ready to pray all the time with my family. I mean, that might be you. That might be where you've been. That may be part of your Christian journey. But if that's you, that's okay. You are not alone. Because at all of us, during all of our times of our Christian journey, we've had those moments where it is maybe a bit scary to fully commit. Where we're, we're a little apprehensive, so we're just kind of looking in, but we're not really jumping in, right? We, we do enough to, you know, make sure we feel good about the fact that everybody knows we're Christian, but maybe not as much as we know that we should be. Well, Easter is a chance for you too. Easter is a chance for you to recommit your life to following Christ fully with all that you've got and with all that you are. To not be afraid to make sure people know that you follow Christ, to not make decisions that honor God fully, to not withhold yourself from experiencing the kingdom of God in its entirety. Let today be a day you stop just going to church and you start following Christ. Because if you do that, then you can be like Mary. Mary's the character we should all want to be. Mary Magdalene is the example we should all strive for. She is the one in the story who is actually trying to be most like Christ, which is what we should all be trying to do. You see, Mary longs to be with Christ. Mary longs for Jesus with such emotion, with such realness, with such rawness. She is like any one of us who've ever lost a loved one or a friend, and you've gone to the cemetery and you've sat by that gravestone and you've talked to the person that you miss, or maybe you go to the place where you spread their ashes because you feel most connected to them there, and you have a longing to be with them, and so you do something that doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense, but it's the only thing you can do to connect you to that longing. That's what Mary's doing. She is weeping because she is longing to be reconnected with Christ and she wants to do the, very, the only thing she knows how to do in this moment. And then when she sees Jesus, when she has an experience with the living Christ, the one who was raised from the dead, she is so excited about it. She wraps her arms around Jesus and then Jesus tells her to go tell everybody about what she has seen and she does it. That's the type of disciple we should want to be. That when Jesus commands us to do something, when Jesus calls us to something, that we just go do it. Because Jesus told us to do it, and we love Jesus, and we want to do what Jesus tells us. So, so we're going to go and tell the world, just like Mary did. Mary went and said, I have seen the Lord. Have you ever told anybody that you have seen the Lord? Whether that seeing is through worship or if it's through prayer, or if it's through some convicting experiences, have you ever told anybody that you like to read your Bible? Have you ever told anybody that you want to pray for them or with them? Have you ever told anybody that they should come to church with you? Have you ever done anything that makes you say, like, I have seen the Lord and I can't wait to tell everybody about it? That's what Mary was doing. 
She was so moved by her experience with Christ that she could not help but tell everybody, let me tell you about Jesus. Now, that might not always look the same for each of us. John Wesley used to say, actually, people say it was John Wesley. We don't actually know if John Wesley said this or not, but that you should preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Let your life be the witness that you have experienced the living God. And so this morning, as we wrap up and as we prepare to continue worshiping together, I I want you to ask yourself, if you were there, who would you have been? If this morning you are like Peter and carrying that guilt, I pray that you will hear the good news. If you are holding on to the heaviness of harboring resentment, if you are holding on to the fear that you have done something unforgivable, I pray that you will know in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. God gives grace to even you, to even me, that there's nothing you've done that can separate you from the love of God. And if you're like John, you're just kind of hanging out on the sidelines, I pray you'll ask, what does it mean for me to commit my life to Christ? Or even to recommit my life to Christ? To once again make sure that you declare before God and one another that you want to follow Jesus. As for me and my house, we will follow the Lord. What does it look like for you to make that claim and let it impact your life in a real way? So that maybe we can all be like Mary. Maybe we can all be so moved by an experience with Christ. Maybe it's in worship, maybe it's through our family, maybe it's through some sort of other experience, but that we may be so moved by our relationship with Jesus that we have to tell the world about it. Mary didn't have this experience with Jesus and be like, that was cool. Maybe I'll do that again next week. She left that moment and said, glory, hallelujah, I have seen the Lord. What will it take for you to do that too? What will it take for us to be a church that is not afraid to tell the world, Christ the Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.